Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Good evening, everybody. We are live. Welcome to Save the Cowboy. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. How we doing? (laughs) Packed in here. It's super loud. Um, Just a couple announcements for the evening. Uh, I think Kevin kind of covered it this morning, but we're going to start doing Bible studies and um, things like that. So Rod sent me the the correct dates that we're doing that because I keep butchering it. So I'm actually going to look at my phone. Um, but for for members that are Long X Ranch Cowboys, let me find Rod's text here. Our men's Bible study will will start the first and third Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Be live streamed on the on the uh, LXR page on Facebook. Women will be the second and the fourth Wednesdays at 6 p.m. So I kind of butchered those dates this morning, but that's, that's what we're gonna do. So really excited about that, and we've had a lot of people buzz about that. So um, thank you, J- um, just to close out the, um, the uh, new year here. I just wanted to echo a sentiment Kevin said this morning and thank our volunteers, um, and especially I know Stephen got a thank you this morning, and, and I think Daryl got a thank you, and they, they both deserve it, but I want to thank those two especially because not only are they um, here every Sunday morning setting things up, providing security, things like that, but Stephen and Daryl specifically come on Sunday evenings as well, so, um, and, and uh, they're such a blessing to have around here, so I just wanted to tell them they're, they're somewhere in the room, it's dark, but thank you guys. You guys really make Sunday evening happen. Um, yes. Um, a couple other things. So a few things that we're going to have coming up in the new year here on Sunday evening. Um, we're going to start kind of uh, letting people have some testimonials. So we may start opening with, um, with people who want testimonials. Um, we had a lot of good uh, um, feedback from that from the uh, from the um, retreat, if you guys were here, and that's uh, something that we want to keep going. So we may provide five to maybe ten minutes at the beginning sometimes for people to do testimonials. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to challenge people with as we start this new year, and this is going to be specifically for Sunday evening, is I want to challenge people, and it's going to be kind of ironic tonight, um, to bring one person a week. So we, we had a couple meetings this week with the pastoral staff at Save the Cowboy, and we really like what we're doing on Sunday evenings, um, and we really want it to look a little bit different than, than Sunday mornings. And my challenge to you guys is this. I'm going to prepare every week, and I'm going to come up here and hopefully have a, a, a good message, uh, Lord willing, and, and do my part to pour into you guys. What I'm going to ask um, everybody else bring somebody. I know a lot of you say your kids listen and really love Sunday evening service. Challenge them to come in. And the good thing about Sunday evening service too is it's, it's, uh, it's lower key. There's less people. Um, and, and it's more of a group atmosphere, I think. So I, I really want to build that. But in, in keeping with our mission and the great commission that, that the good Lord ha- has given us is let's bring people in. And I think that's kind of been the, co- um, the, uh, consensus and the end the theme of the of Sunday evenings I don't know for the last two months so um, probably going to challenge you guys to do that every week but bring people in you people online I don't forget about you guys I promise so there's a lot of you online you say kind words and I love you guys for it Um, share links invite people to watch with you I'm going to extend the same challenge to you guys Um, so let's say a prayer and then we're going to kind of get into service this evening so Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity, for a warm building, for um, just, just amazing people that will come out on a, on a holiday evening to, to worship, even though they did it this morning, they're, they're coming for round two. And I'm just ever thankful of the things that, one, you're doing in my heart, um, but more importantly, the things that you're doing in this ministry and doing in, e- in each other around here. Um, I, I pray as we get into the new year that, that we build a sense of community in this ministry and that, that you be with the leadership and, and with all the people in here. Um, be with us through, through um, 
personality problems and when things are going well and when, when things aren't going well, Lord, we pray that your hand is on everything because we know it is. I just want to thank you for the baptisms that we have and, and just all of these people that, that you are obviously working in their lives. Um, we don't take that lightly and we know heaven's rejoicing. We thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, um, I had a great preparation for this sermon, so a, a lot went into it, and, and tonight's going to be a story that I'm really passionate about. Um, but in preparation, I, I started think of us thinking of the way things have gone in my life, and, and I examined my behavior and all of that stuff, and it's weird how God does that through you when, when you're really working with him. Um, but what I realized is the majority of my life, I've been a rebel. Um, I've never liked to do what people have told me, even if it's good things people are telling me. I hate it because it's somebody else telling me to do something, right? I do not like to be told what to do because I feel like people are controlling me. Can any of you guys relate with that? I would venture to guess that I'm in good company with both the people online and in here that most of us have a tendency to rebel, right? Most of us don't like to be told what to do. Um, and it's been really interesting as I've really grown spiritually, I think, in the, in the last year. Um, and, I, and I've grown in my occupation. So it, it's really been interesting in this last year um, becoming a, a new pastor and seeing how I grow that way, but also becoming a leader at work. And um, this week, um, I, I told you guys about my new promotion and all that weird, awkward stuff. But this week, for the first time, I, I got to meet with my new crew and kind of set my expectations and um, what I expected of them. And it's been kind of a change because, like I said, I've been a, a rebel my whole life, and, and that has actually caused a lot of problems. So thinking back, I had problems, and, and I can remember early on in my career, there was a certain um, boss that I had at work and the way our rank structure kind of works is, is I'm a lieutenant, so I, I'm over three state, or I, I'm in charge of a station, so I'm in charge of an engine crew and an ambulance company, and we have three stations. And over those three stations, we have what we call a battalion chief who's in charge of the shift. So when I first started as a firefighter, I worked for a battalion chief who, no joke, back in the day, I would have told you he was the second coming of Hitler. Like this guy, um, is just a, a place for everything and everything in its kind of guy. Spick and span, uniform needs to be clean, like um, an ex-military guy, scrub, scrub the floors with a toothbrush kind of guy, and I hated that. So naturally what I did is, is him and I clashed a lot. Um, he was always on me about my hair, so one thing I, I remember thinking about this week was he would yell at me about my hair, and I've always liked to be kind of a clean-cut kind of person, but I remember one time I grew my hair out to, to literally just to spite this guy. Um, and the thing about me is my hair gets really curly, so you'll start to see, like, if I grow my hair out, it'll start curling up above my hat like a... Um, like a, a nasty vine growing in somebody's yard. Mitch tells me that I, um, if you guys are familiar with this reference, he says I look like the little kid from Bad Santa, um, which honestly hurts my feelings. But um, I remember growing my hair out to spite this guy. And I hated that because then I had to get up every morning and brush my hair or, or take care of it, right? It's, and you ladies won't understand this, but it's much easier to be clean cut and... Um, and to just live life that way. I can get out of bed, take a shower or not take a shower, gross I know, um, and just go to work, right? I don't have to worry about makeup or putting hair on. But I remember doing little things like that that would, um, in the name of making him mad, but in all honesty, things like that I've realized this week were only affecting me. And what I've came to the conclusion is the most frustrated I've ever been in life um, was in my rebellious stages. And the most freedom I've ever felt in my life is when I learned to obey God and obey his commands. And that's interesting, because like I said, if you ask my family, I, I come from a family of three boys, 
I'm by far the most uh, spick and span, and, I, and I'm a rebel, right? My brothers are 10 times that. Like, my brothers are so rebellious, they literally cannot work for people, um, which has actually made them uh, start their own businesses and be pretty successful. It's funny how that works. But I come from a family of rebels. But what I've learned in having conversations is that the most frustrated I've ever been in my life was when I was in my rebellious stages, which is interesting because that's the exact opposite of what society would tell you, right? Society wants us to believe that it's wrong to obey a master or that it's, that it's wrong to be held down or to be held in captivity. But what we're gonna see and what we're gonna look at in the Bible tonight is God's pretty dang clear on, on how we should be obedient um, and the benefits that, coming, that come from submitting to authority. And I know, I know it's going to be controversial, just follow me. But the benefits that come from sitting, submitting to authority and obeying God when we don't want to. Interesting in my preparation is I found there are 57 verses in the Bible about submitting to authority. 57, give or take. That, that fall into that subject. And there are about 10 about rebellion. Can you guys guess how many of those 10 speak good or, or cast a good light on rebellious nature? Zero is correct. A couple that I thought of, right? 1 Samuel 152.3 says this, for rebellion is as as the sin of witchcraft. Proverbs 17 says this, an evil man seeks only rebellion. Isaiah 1:19 says this about um, submitting to authority. If you are willing to be obedient and shall eat the good of the land, or if you are willing to be obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 1 Peter 2, which if you read the book of 1 Peter, almost all of it has to do with submitting to worldly authority, which we will get to, says this. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. What we see in the Bible, which is contrary to the society that we live in, is that God is pretty clear that one, we are supposed to be obedient. Two, that there's power in obedience to him. And three, for some reason, which I hope to explain it to you guys tonight, we are to submit to earthly authority. And I know, I know, I know, like it makes my skin crawl, my head is itching, but there's something in that. Understand this too, and I'm going to put this delicately. There's a difference between speaking up and doing the right thing and standing on what is right, your integrity and your morals, and su submitting to authority. You can do one and the other. Both of those things can be true at one time. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this story tonight. Being obedient and here's, here's the, the main theme of what I hope to talk about tonight. Being obedient is loyalty and trust in God's plan. Submission to earthly authority shows that we care more about our place in eternity than our ranking on this earth. And I'm gonna say that again. Submission to earthly authority shows that we care more about our place in eternity than our ranking here on earth. God is very clear New Testament, Old Testament, that we are to be obedient. There's actually hundreds of scriptures on our obedience, right? And it comes down to this. We are to be a light and a beacon for the God that we serve, and obedience in this world shows that to other people. If you can be obedient here and do what God tells you, he can trust you in eternity. So tonight we're going to look at... Um, the story of Joseph, and I know that the ladies in the room and the ladies watching online are excited because we're going to talk about a Christmas story again, right? Wrong, Joseph. We're going Old Testament on this. So if you guys are familiar with the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Everything came from the 12, the 12 sons of Jacob, and from there, the, the Jewish culture spanned the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. That's why they call him the Lion of Judah, but there was a story in the Old Testament that Jacob had a favorite son of those 12. And it's funny because not much happened from that tribe, that tribe of Israel. I mean, it ended up becoming one of the lost tribes and it wasn't even named after Joseph. But we're gonna look at this story of Joseph who was a righteous man, who was his dad's favorite, and who ended up living a, a uh, very rough life 
despite the person he was, despite his loyalty to his family, and despite how obedient he was to God, he ended up living a really rough life. And in that story, I'm going to make the case to you guys, I'm going to make a biblical argument here that the most rebellious and freeing thing you can do in this world is to live a life of obedience. So keep that in mind as we go through this, but let's get into this. You guys ready? So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to be all over the place. We're going to go from 37 to 50, so bear with me. There's a lot of reading, but we're only going to do a couple verses at a time. So Genesis chapter 37, it says this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So just to kind of paint the picture here, this is the first time that we see the mention of Israel, right? We know that Jacob was named Israel and Israel was named Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 sons, right? Um, so when we see the word, word Israel here, we're talking about Jacob. So it's saying that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Anybody have siblings in here? Anybody have multiple kids in here? How well does playing favorites work? Like what kind of environment does that build within your household? Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, which is a wild statement, because this, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ordinate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. So even in the book of Genesis, we just got over the Cain and Abel thing, but we're starting to see brotherly rivalries here. They're not getting along. It goes on to say this in verse 18. This is how we're going to cover 14 verses if you're good at math like I am. It says this in verse 18. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 27 says this. They say in 27, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our flesh and blood, our brothers agreed. So what we see here is this jealousy in these brothers is starting to boil up. They hatch a plan to kill their brother. And they start to come to their senses and say, you know what? We're not going to kill our brother. We're going to sell him into slavery, right? Because that's such a better option. So what we start to see is that Joseph had this ability to interpret James, who was his father's favorite. He really did no wrong, and I think we all have a child like that, right? He really did no wrong, and it's starting to cause these issues with him and his brother. As he goes on, what we're going to learn about Joseph is, is they sell him into slavery, and every step along the way, he encounters resistance and a sad story, and um, just things don't go his way. And because of the person that he is and his obedience to God, he starts to climb himself out of there. So he ends up becoming a slave. He ends up um, becoming a slave in a really, um, and we're going to talk about it, I promise, in a really um, wealthy man's house who has a lot of political influence. Um, he ends up having some accusations against him that get him put in prison that are false. Um, and all of these things start happening to him, but he doesn't waver from his obedience. Makes me think of this. Joseph's obedience started with bringing his painful past and his shortcoming to God. Point number one, something that I thought about, your past circumstances do not determine your future, um, your future with God. The things of your past and the baggage that you carry does not mean that God is not going to use you. And that's what we see here in, in these first verses. Think about the baggage that Joseph must have had even at this point. Um, can you imagine? I, I, I like to believe that this is the first instance that Joseph, that a therapist had to be used on planet Earth, right? This to me has to be the first time that we looked at something and said, Wow, that's heavy. You need somebody to talk to. And in that, a therapist was born, right? Can you imagine being the therapist sitting in here listening to Joseph's story? And we think we have it so bad sometimes. Um, him just sitting on the couch and, yeah, what's going on, Joseph? How you doing? Well, I really did no wrong, and, and my brothers hate me, and they stripped me of my clothes and threw me in this pit, and they sold me to slavery. But other than that, things are going pretty good. So things are starting to look up, right? That was the attitude that he probably had. This family had baggage. 
But what we see is this reoccurring theme that no matter what happened, no matter um, the circumstances in Joseph's life, that did not determine or waver him from his obedience to God. He still understood that God was going to use him. It's interesting when you look and you study successful people, almost all of them have a really sad story, right? And that's kind of par for the course because we all have a really sad story. But I look at some of these famous people and I'm like, wow, they made it through that? And almost every successful person seems to have something in their life that just didn't go well. A lot of them didn't have fathers growing up. A lot of them grew up in poverty. And we see that too in in these stories in the Bible. I remember um, being a kid and um, I love football, right? You guys can hear us talking about football. And I used to go to church and then um, we used to go to the early morning services. So I'd get off. Football started at 11 o'clock, right? And you would watch the pregame, and they would always do these pregame stories about um, these sob stories about how this guy made it out of that, or how this kid who's, you know, has cancer or something like that, like these heavy, heavy things, and what they're doing with their lives. It gets back to the fact that we're all going to face adversity, but it's what we do with it that matters. And God's pretty clear about that with every story and every character that is in the Bible. Almost every single one of them didn't have a, a, a easy path. Almost every single one of them had to mightily struggle because in that, that builds character. But the reoccurring theme that we see is every single one of them were obedient. Your future or your, your present circumstances or things that happened to you in the past do not dictate how God wants to use you in the future. Joseph had every reason to have a sob story, but here's something I think about in, in the term of obedience, and we have to ask ourselves this question. I'm a question asker for my new people here. Is it possible that if God is omniscient in our lives, that he may have good on the other side of our suffering? Is it possible that if God created the situation that you are currently in that is sticky and holding you back, is it possible that he also has a solution to that problem? Is it possible that he and his omniscient presence thought it through and has a plan to get you through that? The answer is a resounding yes, right? If God is the creator of our lives, then understand through the valleys that he has a plan and it's probably to build some some character. And the best way you can build character is through obedience in the tough times. It is possible that if things are not going our way, that God has a plan for our lives. So we see that, right? Joseph, is it sold to slavery in this point? So let's pick up here verse 39, chapter two. It says this. The Lord was with Joseph. Keep that in mind. I want you to underline every time we say that this evening. The Lord was with Joseph so that he was protected. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. What we see here, the reoccurring theme, is no matter what happens to Joseph, his character shines through even to people who aren't believers in God. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar, which is, his, which is his owner's name, put him in charge of the household and he entrusted his care to everything he owned. So what we start to see here is that even in the midst of being taken from his home, being betrayed by his family, his character and his obedience to God is so ironclad that it's starting to have an effect on the people around him. And my friends, that's why I think God calls us to be obedient. Not because he wants to control us or because any of that stuff, why we think people, why society tells us people control us, but because people see him through you when you can be obedient. Keep that in mind. So things are starting to look up, right, in his wife or in his life. And then in comes Potiphar's wife. It says this in verse 11. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties. He's working hard. And none of the household servants were inside. 
She, Potiphar's wife, his owner's wife, his slave master's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of that place, right? Anybody a little? So obviously Joseph's a handsome dude, right? There's a lot to be envious about this guy. But what we see here is no matter what's happening, he's doing the right thing. Things are starting to look up. Then comes his wife. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her, house, uh, her household servants and said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Joseph's master took, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But when Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Underline it, when Joseph was in prison, the Lord is with him. His character here starts to grant him favor again in captivity. So when the warden put Joseph in charge of all, that he, all he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Goes on in, in chapter 40, verse 8, it says this. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, tell me your shame. So what is going on here? Number one, and the thing that stood out to me, is Joseph's doing, again, what was expected of him. He has a circumstance in life that is out of his control, that is not fair to him, that he didn't deserve, and his slave owner's wife, who he had gained favor with the slave owner, um, makes a false accusation that could totally tear his life down. And it's interesting to me because what did it say Joseph did when she threw herself at him? He ran from that, right? He ran from sin. He was always doing the right thing, and it got him put back in prison. Anybody find that kind of heavy? Joseph did everything right with the right heart and things did not go his way. Joseph was faithful and that just gets him into deeper and deeper trouble. Let me ask you guys this. Because I know there are some people in this room who are going through these exact circumstances and there's people online, all of that jazz. There are some people in Save the Cowboy who are doing everything right who are following God, who are, who, who are doing what is expected of them, doing what is holy, turning away from sin, and things are still not going your way. And that's one of the hardest problems I think I face as number one, a Christian in my life, and number two, as a pastor, is how do I tell people who are doing the right thing why God is not responding to them? Because it's not fair. Some of you have done the right thing and your relationship or your marriage is not working out. That's deep. Some of you have done the right thing and, and are a great person and, and are, are turning from sin, and the promotion is not coming your way you've been working for. And some of you, like there are people in this church who are doing the right thing and who are good people, and they've lost a baby. Or there's, there's people who are struggling with addiction, Here's the point with that, my friends. You cannot determine obedience to God by the outcome that happens. God never promises you the fact that if you're obedient, everything will go your way, and that would be counter to growth in your life. Agreed? If everything went my way all the time, that wouldn't be obedience. That would be scorekeeping. And what I want to challenge you guys to think about is not to get into those instances where we are keeping score with God. Because we're going to lose that every time. Think about it. If God truly kept score in our lives, how many of us would come out on top? The answer is zero. But we tend to get angry and to get frustrated because we're doing the right things. And I know it hurts and it doesn't feel good. And God may not be exactly responding the way that we want. We're doing the right things and we're running like Joseph did, but we keep getting into deeper and deeper trouble and that is the most frustrating thing we can deal with. 
But as the title of this sermon, there's beauty in our obedience to God. It wouldn't be obedience if we did it just because um, it's going to get us something. Uh, thinking about my opening story, I told you guys that I, I had a conversation with my new crew that I'm going to be in charge of. And, and the funny thing is I told you about that tyrant that I hated as a firefighter, right? I've spent five years trying to promote, like working, getting a degree, getting all my certifications, going to trainings. And I finally did it this year. And guess what was the first surprise that I got? That tyrant that I hated working for, I'm going to work for him, right? So now him and I have to be a united front and lead people together, right? God works in mysterious ways. And I've honestly seen that as a great challenge because over the past year, something amazing has happened spiritually in my life. I've learned that, that there is a beauty to obedience that I, I told you guys earlier that the, the most frustrated I've ever been in my life is when I was rebelling. And what God has taught me over the past year is that there is such a freedom to just doing what you're told sometimes if it's the right thing to do. I sat and had a conversation this week with my crew and that, that uh, battalion chief that I work for was clear on one thing. He said, these are my expectations. Your crew is up by 7 a.m., which is a, which is a uh, controversy in the firehouse, to say the least. And you guys are spick and span in uniform. And he said, oh, by the way, one thing. He said, the crew I'm giving you constantly wears the wrong department shorts. Fix that. So I say, all right, yes, sir. So I have a talk with my crew and I tell them, hey guys, really excited to come. This is what I expect. This is how we're going to operate. This is what we're going to train on to be ready. Oh, and by the way, can you guys please just be in the right shorts? Like I have one guy in my crew that wears lime green shorts. It's the oddest thing, right? But that's his rebellion and I have to try to find ways to get over that, right? Because in my mind, it, it's nothing for us who just got an 8% raise, who, whose paychecks come on time, who work in a really good work environment, to just be in the right shorts, right? Um, and what I told them was this. I said, listen, I understand it's not a great rule. I understand it's, you know, whatever. But is it really that hard to just be in the shorts that are asked of you? And I came to this conclusion because everybody told me yes. Their obedience had nothing to do with them agreeing with the rule, but it had everything to do with their respect and their love for me. I said, if you guys love me and you respect me, can you please just save me this argument of being in, you know, me having to get yelled at and then having to yell at you guys about basketball shorts? And that's not a problem for them. And I think that's the same picture of our obedience with God. We don't obey and submit and do all of these things because we necessarily agree with it. We obey and we submit and we do these things because we understand our creator's intentions and we love him and we want to respect him with our actions. And that, my friends, is why we obey. There's always an opportunity for obedience and that's what we see in Joseph, right? When things aren't going my way, there's not really an opportunity for me to be happy, but there's an opportunity for me to be obedient, and there is a beauty in that. And I know I'm not going to convince you of that on one night in this room, but try it. Try just being obedient. It does something in your life, um, and it's so freeing. Because what we see over and over and over and over again, and this is my favorite thing about this verse, that's why I told you to underline it. In, the pri in prison, Lord was with him. In slavery, Lord was with him. In the false accusations, the Lord was with Joseph. We see it written over and over and over again. The Lord was with him. Do you guys see a pattern here? No matter what happened, the Lord was with him. That's my blueprint that we like to talk about on Sunday evenings, right? Do you see the blueprint of God working in your obedience even when things aren't going your way? The Lord was with him. So now, Joseph is here. He's put in prison on a false accusation. And now his character, again, is shining through. And he's made the warden of the prison like him to the point 
where they realize that he has a God-given gift of interpreting dreams. So they are coming to him to have his dreams interpreted. And it says this, we're going to move to chapter 41. 41 verse 15 says this, we both had dreams, they answered, but there was none to interpret them. Joseph said this to them, do my interpretations not belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And to finish painting the picture of Joseph here, he will go on to interpret these, these prisoners' dreams, and the prisoners are going to go free, and he asks one favor of this prisoner, and that's to remember him when, when he's free to help get him out. And the prisoner doesn't do that. But what does happen is, is in prison, Joseph sits there for a couple of years. Um, and Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh, because remember he's in Egypt, ends up having these wild uh, dreams and, and he, asks his, um, he asks his cabinet, the people that serve under him, is there anybody that can figure out like these dreams that are coming to me as I sleep? And this prisoner who ends up being one of them remembers him and, and he starts getting this reputation because of the character he is and he's using his God-given gifts and obedience. And they said, yeah, there, there's a man sitting there in prison um, and he can interpret your dreams. So what ends up happening is, is he goes, uh, he's brought before Pharaoh, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And what he ends up uh, telling him, or, and, and again, as Kevin said this morning, it wasn't really him interpreting his dreams, it was God. He's just being obedient and using his God-given gifts. And what he tells Pharaoh is that the meaning of his dreams is that there are seven years of prosperity coming for the, for the uh, city of Egypt, for the country of Egypt, followed by seven years of extreme famine. Obviously impressed, Pharaoh promotes him literally to second, essentially second in command of Egypt because of his skills and his character and who he is, and that started with his obedience to God. And then the interesting, that, interesting thing that ends up happening is because he had predicted that there were seven years of, of famine or seven years of prosperity, then there's going to be seven years of extreme drought and famine. Um, they were able to prepare for it. So when that seven years of drought and famine and all of that hit, people, e Egypt was somewhat ready for that. So people from all around the land were literally coming to Egypt for handouts, for food, for water, and all those things, because they were able to be prepared. And what ends up happening is Joseph, his brothers, they end up coming to Egypt to beg for food um, and end up before Joseph. And they don't even recognize him because he's dressed as a, uh, you know, as the Egyptians would be. He's Egyptian royalty at this point. So they come before Joseph begging for food, and at first they don't recognize him. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but I want to talk about my third and final point here. Ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary opportunities. And that may seem like my first and my second point kind of contradict here. What I'm not preaching is, is prosperity here. What I'm saying is that God lays out this blueprint for you in your Bibles, and I'm sure you can all think about this because it's all happened in our lives, that if we just do what is asked for us, he will be with us. And usually when God is with us, it's hard to be down, right? Usually when God is with us, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Usually when God is with us, it means there's a way to the mountaintop. Ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary opportunities. And you know why? Because when Joseph is obedient, he can be trusted by God. And it's the same thing in our lives. When we are obedient, God can trust us, so he's going to give us more. This, so this week was Christmas, obviously, right? I hope you all had a great Christmas. Um, and I often talk about my nieces and my nephews, but I was shopping for them this week, and I found the coolest gift for my nephews. Um, it's this little, like, chalkboard, 
and on the other side it's a dry erase board and there's a little paper um, that you can pull down so that they can also draw um, on paper and there's chalk and markers and stuff that come with it and then little magnets you can put up there. So I was really excited to give this gift. Um, I bought it for two of my nephews. Uh, my, I have a nephew who's one and then I have a nephew who's three. So I, I, I bought them that. I, I took the little uh, magnets and wrote their names on the top of it with the magnets and it was, it was really cool. So I was super excited to give this gift to my nephew. So I, I was on shift during Christmas, so I worked Christmas and the day after. So two days after Christmas, I'm excited to get off and go give my nephew this gift. And um, he goes crazy. He absolutely loved it. It was one of those gifts that was so awesome that my niece was actually a little bit jealous that it wasn't for her, right? It was like this big board. Um, so we open it, put it together for him. He's ecstatic. Of course, as a kid, he, all he cares about is like the eraser and things like that. But he started doing something interesting, and it was actually a tad bit frustrating. No matter what, all of these cool things that I got him on this, this little chalkboard, all he wanted to do was eat the chalk. Like, I, I'm telling you, like, go into town like these things are Snickers. He's literally just eating chalk. So I'm like, Brooks, knock that off. Stop eating that chalk. He doesn't care. His lips are all red and purple and dry because he's eating chalk. And it's like, why do kids do that, right? Probably how God looks at us sometimes. So finally, I'm like, Brooks, stop eating the chalk. That is not good for you. And that, this little boy, right, the nerve of this little kid, right, it, it's like dealing with myself or my brothers all over again. He looks up at me into my eyes and takes another bite of chalk and smiles right in my face. I'm like, you little booger. So then I, naturally, we're a Republican family. I pop him in his mouth and I say, hey, stop eating chalk. That's not good for you. Why are you doing that? It makes no sense. Guess what he does? Because I'm also kind of soft. Like I talk about like discipline and all this stuff. My nieces and nephews, I'm kind of soft. So I'll just give him a little tap. I end up tapping this little boy on the mouth three times and telling him to stop eating chalk. And I couldn't help but smile because I was also prepping this sermon and think about that must be our how God has felt with me my entire life. I can say, Brooks, why are you eating chalk? Like, it doesn't make sense. It's bad for you. Why are you doing that? And that's the same way God has talked to me in my disobedience growing up. I know better. Like, I know you shouldn't be eating chalk. I, I have that knowledge. You don't just listen to me. And that's the importance of obedience, right? And more importantly... That's the reason we do or do not get um, certain permissions from, from God. Would I, if, if I can't trust my nephew to obey me about not eating chalk, do you think I can trust him about driving my truck or paying my taxes or, you know, giving him my credit card to go buy him another chalkboard? And in that same way, that's what our relationship with God looks like, and that's why obedience is so important. You are given, listen to me here, my friends, and we've talked about this. I know Kevin talks about it all the time. You are given authority in Christ. How much or how little of that depends on how you are able to obey to him. If you cannot set an example and submit to proper authority, if you cannot do what's, if you cannot obey and do what's asked of you, do you think God is going to put more on your plate when you cannot handle the basics of Christianity? Are you eating chalk? Or are you the one being popped in the, or popping people in the mouth for it? What I love about Joseph's story here, and this didn't come from me, it came from one of my favorite pastors, and I'll forever use this in my ministry. Joseph puts on a master class here of a theory called bloom where you are planted. And what that means is, is as a Christian, God calls you to be a light no matter what circumstances in your life or where he's called you to be or what occupation you're doing. You are expected to become a flower, right? Think about like dandelions and the way those work in your yard. Super frustrating, right? The, you, you know, you got to pull them, and, and if, 
if the leaves and all of that, I can't think of the actual word, start, start getting out, they spread like wildfire, right? But the interesting thing about them too is they also like, I'll be walking down the street and I'll see a, a dandelion growing out of the concrete. Isn't that funny? Like, how does that work? But that's how we should be in our lives. Bloom where you are planted. If God has you in a season of life and you're doing everything right and you are not getting results, bloom with obedience. If, if God has you on the mountaintop and you, you see no reason to praise him because everything's going your way, bloom where you are planted. Do the best with what God has given you and find freedom in obedience. What I love about this story is it starts to come full circle, right? His brothers come before him and they finally notice, like he tells them, yeah, I'm your brother. Remember, you stripped me naked and sold me into slavery. No, he does, doesn't actually say that at all. He says this, and this is my favorite, ver- this is tied for my favorite verse in the entire Bible. As his brothers come before him and they wanted to kill him and betrayed him, in Genesis 50, 20, he says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. So you see his brothers come before him and he has every reason and every power and every authority to honestly kill them, get rid of them, punish them for what they've done to him. And he does the exact opposite because of who he is and his character in God. We look at our circumstances sometimes and we, we think that God is picking on us or um, that, that obedience is not possible because things are not going my way. But what we see in this and many other stories in the Bible is that no matter what happened, Joseph chose to see good in it because the good and bad and things that happened to him in this world do not define him but what does define him is, is, is the good God, the creator of the universe that he serves. And there's something powerful in that. In closing, right? I think of this story, and it's been told on this stage, and, and I've, uh, again, one of my favorite pastors tells it all the time, but I think it's very fitting for the topic of obedience or submitting to authority. And it's this old cowboy proverb and essentially it starts out, there's this Mustang, right? And it lives in the wild. And, and I listen to the story, and I'm like, yes, a wild Mustang, like, that's me, let's go. And, you know, it lives the life at once. It gets all the women at once. Um, it fights, it does all of these things that wild Mustangs do, right? There's cowboys in here that have dealt with this. And what happens is that much like this story, a drought falls upon the land and now this Mustang is limited on food and on water, and um, it's starting to become weak, and it's susceptible to predator attacks. And things just get worse, right? Drought goes on and on and on. There's less food. He has to move more. He has to work harder to find it, and he starts to become weak. And in his weak stage, he finds himself lassoed by a cowboy and taken back to a ranch and put in this cage, right? And then I listen to that and I'm like, no! Like, that's what you guys are trying to do to me! Forget that! And then what happens is, as we know, Mustangs can be very rank, so he's bucking his owner off and he's, he's in the process of being broken um, and all of these things. And then he starts to realize, like, he was starving, but in his captivity every night, food is delivered to him. And he has as much water as he wants. And every time, even though him and his cowboy are clashing at that point, the cowboy takes care of him and tends to his medical needs and brushes him off and makes sure he's clean. And every night he can sleep in peace because he has shelter from the wind and the elements and predators and things like that. And then what he starts to realize is that this cowboy kind of knows what what he's doing. And he starts to realize that if, if when the cowboy is on him, he's not asking much of him, so it's nothing for him to follow his commands and this horse is broken. And the nice thing about it is, is 
this horse that lived wild and struggled to eat and was a victim to the elements and all of those things realizes that his life in captivity when he was captured and we thought this was like the worst story in the world is actually pretty good because he's serving a master that loves and cares for him. And he doesn't have to struggle for his food and he doesn't have to struggle for his water and all that's asked of him is that when there's a rope around a cow, that he does what the cowboy asks of him. And when he does what the cowboy's asked of him, he goes back and he has his shelter and he's brushed off and every need that this horse has, he's tended to. And I know that's a proverb, but we know that's how it goes breaking horses, right? And I think that's a beautiful illustration on what happens when we are obedient to God. We, we think that this life that we're living is the greatest thing ever, but in reality, we're suffering and we're hungry and we're thirsty. And then we submit to this master and it seems like the worst thing ever. But then I realize that when I'm obedient to him, he trusts me and he gives me more. Just like that horse, when we do that, that's the beauty of obedience with God. Left to my own devices, I'm not going to flourish, right? I'm going to die a wild Mustang in a famine-stricken wilderness, right? But submission to my master, there's just something about it that is so freeing. Now I can eat as I want. I can drink as I want. I can do as I want. I don't have to worry about getting injured and dying and being susceptible to predators because I have a master that takes care of my every need. That, my friends, is the importance of our obedience to God. There is something so freeing, and I will make the case that being an outlaw is such a um, overused cliche in our society that the biggest outlaw you could possibly be, and we saw this with Jesus Christ in his living, right? The biggest outlaw you can be is to actually be obedient to the things that matter in life. In obedience, we become different. We look different, and that's why God calls us to be obedient, because just like we saw with Joseph, his character shined through because he looked different than everybody else. And that's how God uses our obedience to grant us the things that we, that we need and we deserve in life, but to bring people to him, which is our ultimate purpose until we get to paradise. Something deep in that, but let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that, that, um, that you provide a way and you clothe us and you feed us and, and that you are such a patient God of our lives, that, that you look upon us with favor, Lord, even when we don't deserve it, and that you don't keep score in our life because we would never win that game. We're always out of debt to you, Lord, but you keep giving and giving and giving, and you use us, Lord, and you give us authority, and you do all these wonderful things, though we don't deserve it. May we learn that, that despite what we're told, there is such a beauty in listening to what you say. Lord, we know things aren't going to go our way, and we know that there will be ups and downs. But we just thank you that no matter what, when I'm in prison or when I'm in slavery or, or, or when I face, you are with us through it all. We just thank you for that, Lord. I, I play a, a blessing on this new year that you bless this ministry and you bless these people that are both here and online and that you do something powerful in and through us, Lord, because that's what you have us here for. And may we listen and be obedient to that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.